0: Thank you for listening to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at VBF.org. Now, Here's Pastor Ron Bietti.
1: The next service, I'm going to end with that and have the whole choir up here. Last week at the end of the second service, we're on a time allotment on this one. But at the end of the second service last week, I asked the choir to come up and like 300 people came out of their seats. Uh, I didn't speak to you last week. Uh, I spoke only the second service. But I gave this this, uh, little funny thing at the first. It says, a guy said, I met a woman outside the mall who was crying because she lost $200, and immediately I felt God speak to me to give her $40 of the $200 I just found. Because when you're blessed, you must bless others. Isn't that right? Yeah. Well, today we're in the book of Peter, and because I didn't get to speak to you last week, uh, I'm going to share with you today. We're doing a Bible study. I encourage you to bring your Bibles. Mark them up. See, the Bible says that in the last days, people would heap for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. They would try to get teachers that would tickle their ears, and as a result, they would not endure sound doctrine. That's interesting. To endure something, what does that conjure up in your mind? You endure stuff that's kind of difficult sometimes. And when we start preaching the Word, it's not all going to tickle your ears. We're going through the book of Peter, and I got through two verses last week. I'm getting through three or four more today. We'll probably be in this book the biggest part of a year. It's not always going to tickle your ears. But today, we're going to continue to go through it. And I used the illustration last week in the second service that I've used before that God's in the process of changing us. He wants us to look more like Jesus. And I used that illustration that I have used before that an acquaintance first shared with me that in the old days when they made pottery, they didn't have the modern stoves with the thermostats and stuff. And one day a a guy went to visit, a guy that was making pottery in the old days, and he said, how do you know when the pottery's done? He said, it's very simple. He said, you'll flip it. You'll thump it, and it'll go bing, and have a ring to it. And he said, that's what God does with us. He takes us, puts us in the fire, leaves us in there a while. When He takes us out, He thumps us, and we go, I can't believe that. I don't know what's wrong. And He puts us right back in. He lets us go a little longer, takes us out, thumps us, and we go, I, I, I'm so, I, I'm fed up with this. I hate this life. And we grumble, grumble, puts us back in, keeps doing it until finally he thumps us one day and we go, hallelujah. He's <laughs> okay, you passed that test. Like now we'll go on to the next test. Now we we'll are looking at the book of Peter. There's controversy over whether he wrote it. I went into that last week, but I say he wrote it because he said he did. And if that's a lie, then the whole book's probably a lie. He said he wrote it. I like Peter. I can relate to this guy. Man, I can relate to this guy. He was sleeping when he should have been praying. Hello? Man, do I catch myself doing that. I catch myself kicking back and just letting life, you know, do what it's going to do. And some of you today, you're sleeping, and you should be praying. Prayer changes your perspective of life. When you pray, have you ever noticed that when you take something to prayer, you usually come out of your prayer room seeing that thing totally different than when you went in? Peter slept when he should be praying. He cut people's ears off instead of letting Jesus handle the situation. How many times have we done that? Rama, give it to Jesus. Stop thinking you have to do something because you're going to hurt people. Yes, there's a time to move, but God will tell you when that time is to move. Peter took on stuff he wasn't called to do. That's crazy. Jesus called Peter to minister to the Jews, and where does he end up killed at? In Rome, the Gentiles. Peter, why didn't you stay doing what God called you to do? And on the other hand, Paul was called on the Gentiles, and where was he arrested at? In Jerusalem with the Jews. They told him not to go. I'm telling you, why is it? We always want to be doing something that we're not called to do. You don't burn out when you do what God's called you to do. But stay doing what he's called you to do. You can't fight every battle. Peter talked when he should have been quiet. Does that resonate with anyone? He was always saying stuff when he should have been quiet. God doesn't always need us to be talking. He doesn't need our help all the time. Sometimes He does, a lot of the time He doesn't. See, we gotta learn that sometimes a pat on the back is a lot more powerful than a lecture. Sometimes a hug is a lot more important than the things we wanna say and do. God moves in the silence. We don't have to always be talking. Now, last week we left off talking about sanctification. And how that God is in the process of making us into holy people. He wants us to be holy. Now, holiness, right away, it conjures up a real bad connotation with a lot of people. We think of the Puritans, we think of Mr. Rogers in the neighborhood, we think of this mamby-pamby figure, you know, I'm holy, you know. Holiness can, can also be manly and it can be cool. Holiness might even be like this. Somebody messes with you, and you go up and say, You know what? I'd like to just punch your lights out right now, and believe me, I can handle you. I can handle it. I'm not afraid of you. But God tells me that I shouldn't do that. He tells me instead I'm supposed to pray for you, and I'm not supposed to do this. So I'm backing off, dude. I'm backing off. That's holiness. Holiness is not going out, if you're a single young man with a woman, and going, you know, I can't sleep with you because the Bible says, it's saying, I'd love to, and I would enjoy every minute of it, but God has said, no, and I can't, I must not disobey God. It's a little different than you think. Now, holy people are people who have separated themselves from the things of the world that interfere with serving God. Before you were saved, you didn't realize that you needed to separate yourself from things in the world. You didn't know. I mean, when you're saved, you, before you were saved, you didn't know that bad people could have demonic influences. You didn't know you should separate yourself from those people. Uh, you didn't know that sin destroyed. You didn't even know what sin was. And you didn't know that you needed to back off from some things. You didn't know money couldn't bring happiness, so you pursued it with everything you had. Now you realize that today. You didn't know that that there was life beyond this life. Today you need to separate yourself from stuff that'll destroy you. Now I'm wearing this Christian t-shirt. We're selling these. Yes, I'm an advertisement. The church doesn't make any money from it at all. I'm not a fan of Christian t-shirts. Not at all. But I saw this one, and I asked the guys to make these. It says, Jesus saved my life. I am proud to proclaim that. That's, this just isn't a, 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 just a regular plain old Christian t-shirt. If this Jesus had not saved my life, I would be dead today. I would have lost my marriage today. I, I, would, I would have lost my children today. They wouldn't be preaching all over California today. It wouldn't have happened. Jesus saved my life. And I'm going to give him all the glory and the praise for that. Now, there's things I separate myself from. You guys have heard me say before, I don't go to clubs. Why? Because it's sinful. No, because I don't want those thoughts in my mind. I, I separate myself from porn, from getting drunk, bad TV. I had a dream last night, and I don't know what I'm going to do with this. I asked God to speak to me in my dreams, and I'm just going to throw it out there, and you can, you can do what you want with it. But in my dream, I saw some rather mature Christian people, and they were drunk, and they were laughing about it as if it was nothing. I saw leaders in this church and people, I saw people, leaders in the community that were drunk, and they they were joking about it. And it bothered me in my sleep last night, and I said, God, I've always wondered why drunkenness was so bad, and I felt like God spoke to me and said, it's not the fact of the drunkenness itself. But it's the fact that these leaders don't take my words seriously, and they don't take my ways seriously. And it reflects in a lot more areas than just this. Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Endure sound doctrine. It says it right there in the Bible. And we need to take it Seriously. I mean, holiness is separating yourself. Even TV, I caught myself this week watching a movie. and It was really good. And then all of a sudden, I felt the Holy Spirit say, change the channels, change the channels. See, again, to know normal, you have to see normal. Some of you never see this. Do you ever have to pray about changing a channel on TV? I do quite often. The other day, I was watching a good movie. They started plunging knives in people, twisting them, and God said, that's just wicked. You don't need to be watching that. Uh, I told you, my wife and I, we're, we're totally different. I told you one day how that I was, I came home church on Sunday, and that's the time when I really don't mind seeing people kicked and hit and beat up. I just, you know, I, it's, been, it's been a rough day for me, and it just unstresses me. <laughs> and I was watching this Army show, and they were knifing each other, and they said a few cuss words, and I told you, my wife, is said, I can tell she's getting nervous. She started just, you know, shifting papers. Finally, she takes her stuff. I said, where are you going? She said, going upstairs to pray for you. She told me the other day, now, now again, listen to me closely. I want you to hear everything I'm saying. We're watching Family Feud, and she says, really, do we have to watch that? She says, that's so suggestive. Everything's suggestive on that show, Ron. Now, when people used to say stuff like me, I th- when slow down, Ron. You got a little bit of time. Watch the clock? When people used to say stuff like that to me, and they were older, I'd go, man, legalistic. You people need to be set free in Christ. Come on. But you know, now I'm beginning to see that through sanctification, it changes who you are. And my wife is a very holy person, and that was bothering her. She said, "I, I don't really like it on. I mean, if you want to watch it, fine. Would you watch it in the other room? And so I'm seeing things different. We, I know you dread it when you see these come out, but again, there's a, there's a listening audience out there who's never seen this before, that every man in the world is born as a red ball of clay. Red, red means humanity. It's Adam. And then when you get saved, the blue ball comes down and joins the red. And, and believe me, there's so much teaching here. You can separate those for the first while. You can even mash them together a little bit and separate them. But there'll come a time when you can't separate them anymore, and they begin to turn purple, That's the process of sanctification. The process of sanctification is taking the the spirit coming out of heaven, which blue represents divinity in Jewish thought. Red is the color of Adam. And when they come together through sanctification, you're made into a different person. My wife can't help it that she doesn't like to hear a lot of cussing and cursing because of who she is. She's not legalistic. Because Christ has developed her to that stage. He says, I really don't care to hear it. Now, a lot of Christians, you know, when the red and the blue gets mixed, they start turning purple, but they're still blue a little bit. They're kind of turning purple. And most Christians stop growing right there instead of pressing on to become holy purple. The more purple you become, the more you're changed. And I'm going to talk about that in just a few minutes. Now, when Jesus comes into our life, when we accept the Lord as our Savior, when we're first born again, immediately, immediately, we're positionally sanctified. What does that mean, positionally sanctified? It means God sets us apart. He takes us and sets us apart and says, give them special attention because they are now fulfilling my purpose on earth. Give them special attention. Ah, he starts messing with our lives. Uh, he, he, he starts whittling away everything that he doesn't want in our life because he wants to change us from the red and blue into the purple. And so we're positionally sanctified. He starts dealing with us. Uh, question, what is he dealing with you about today? I'll bet you there's something in every one of your lives. He's dealing with you about something. Because this process of sanctification is ongoing. We're set apart by God for special attention. When you give your life to to God, you also give Him permission to start messing with your life. Just just maybe, just maybe, I don't know. Maybe every time someone says, St. Peter yells out, and says, okay, there's another one. Start messing with them. Start removing everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Come on, guys, let's get going. There's a new one. If you don't want your life to be messed with by God, then you should not have given your life to Him. We used to sing a song. Remember that song? We used to sing it, Teen Challenge, you know, uh, I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Old things have passed away. I am born again. Born of the Father, that's who I am. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. And old things pass away. And when you first get saved, new Christians are bewildered going, what's going on? What's going on? See, have any any of you had God remove relationships out of your life? And maybe you didn't know at the time it was Him who was removing them. See, I've known God to take boyfriends out of people's lives, girlfriends out of people's lives, fiancés, business associations, associates, best friends. See, once you get saved, you're positionally set apart by God for special attention. He's going to start whittling out of your life everything that doesn't look like Jesus. And He's going to start taking stuff away. He's going to start removing stuff. Don't be surprised once you get born again. If stuff starts disappearing, friends start leaving, it's all par for the course. Uh, That's the idea behind sanctification. But it's not just the negative aspect. At our new ranch in the mountains, we got little critters now called pack rats. Are they interesting little characters or what? Very often when they take something of yours, they put something else in its place. They leave something. If I ever move next door to very rich people, I'm going to bring in a bunch of pack rats with me. They go steal their jewelry, and then when they want my little phony things, they'll bring their jewelry in and replace it. No, we wouldn't do that, but they're interesting characters. And that's kind of like God. God. Every time he, he removes something out of your life, he'll replace it with something better. I'll say more about that if time permits today. You got a problem because those lights are so bright. I can't already see the clock. I might, I might preach for a long time. You better better start reminding me what time it is in a few minutes. Maybe you want to change the way we do altar calls. I've, I've messed with this for a long time. I'm not so sure we should give everybody a cross when they go back there and say, okay, after you're through here today and you accept the Lord as your personal Savior and you ask the Holy Spirit to come live in your body, write your name in that cross and we're going to go plant it in our cemetery out here. And then when you start getting condemned, which the devil will come back, try to condemn you with your past sins, you go, no, no, that guy died. He died three years ago. Those sins, are not his anymore. Maybe we should make people sign a declaration. Wouldn't that be cool? When they get saved, say, so here's the declaration, what's that? I give God right to start messing with my life starting today. I give them the right to remove stuff. I give Him the right, would that be crazy or what? Maybe then we should tell them too. Say, okay, we want you to lay your car keys on the table. We want you to lay your, your deed to your house, land, everything. You're giving it all to God today. Do you understand what's going on here? He gets everything. That's no longer your car, no longer your house, no longer your family. It's His. Now, you can use all that stuff until he comes back or he wants it, but it's not yours. You're signing away ownership. But in return, you're getting heaven for eternity. You're getting eternal. Man, you're getting the best hit of the deal by a long shot. Now, God has a purpose for your life. Now, we're not going to do that with altar calls. I'm just saying it would be interesting. Now, God has a purpose for your life. And We'll see in a moment that He's allowing trials to come into your life that will shape you into the person that, that's going to fulfill that purpose. Like even right now, on, on, on you know, uh, smaller instances, in smaller instances, God knows what's going to happen to your life six weeks from now. He knows what's going to happen to your life six months from now, six years from now. And according to that, He is... Allowing trials to come into your life to shape you for what is coming. That's interesting. I heard someone once say, I thought it was really funny. They said, into every life a little rain must fall. But this is ridiculous. Let's get into the chapters. Let's start looking at the verse. Now, these are the verses we went over last week real quickly. Verse number one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout these areas. And they're also chosen. Now, we said a couple things last week. One of the things we forgot to talk about is aliens. We're aliens. Look at the definition for aliens. Residing in a strange country, you're a stranger, a sojourner. People have asked before, do you believe in aliens? Uh Uh-huh. Why? Because I am one. (laughs) You're looking at an alien I don't belong on this earth. So the political people are making decisions. And I go, what is up with that? They're in a different world than me. Why are you doing that? Why can't you see beyond this? They can't see what we see. We're sojourners. That means we're just here for a while again. We're on our way to heaven and Bakersfield's our layover. I've said that. We're aliens. And then it says we're chosen. And I talked to you last week about chosen. There's a lot of confusion about chosen. I am really a firm believer that God doesn't choose people before they were born, like Reformed theology. Before the foundation of earth, He goes, you're going to heaven, you're going to heaven, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to burn, you're going to burn, you're going to be saved. That's my will, and I'll make it happen. I don't believe that. I believe the Bible teaches that all, it's God's will for all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth, and whosoever calls on Him will be saved. Everybody has a choice. The Bible says when the Holy Spirit comes, He'll convict the world of sin. What does that mean in my world? That every person on the face of the earth has a season where God's convicting them of their sin and trying to save them, and they have a right to either decline it or accept it. We accepted it. I mean, that's what I believe the Bible teaches. You were chosen. I said last week when we were young in school, at PE very often... We'd have sports teams. We'd have athletic competition. You'd appoint seven captains, and they would choose people to be on their team. And I said to teachers in the service last week, if you're still doing that, stop doing that. That's really cruel. I always saw the little kids that were last to be chosen. They were sitting there, and they felt about this little. Finally, they say, okay, Peter, come on, Sally, come with me. In other words, nobody else wants you. That's just cruel. But God chose his team. And he says, who wants to be in my team? I do, I do. Okay, you're chosen. I do, you're chosen. I do, you're chosen. That's the way he chooses. Everybody wants to be in his team, he chooses them. God doesn't want people in his team that he hasn't chosen. Now look at verse 2. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Yeah, God sees ahead. He knows the people that want to be his. By the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ, and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest, fullest measure. You can't have peace without grace, and grace is undeserved favor. If you don't believe that God will give you favor, even if you don't deserve it, then you're not going to have peace, because you'll never earn your way up to receive His favor. Now, sanctification, that's where we're at. That's where we're, we're really spending some time at. Let me say three more things I didn't say last week about sanctification. Number one is every time you say yes to the Holy Spirit, you become more sanctified. Cooperate with Him. How does this process take place? Every time you say yes to the Holy Spirit, when you want to say no, but you say yes in obedience, that makes the sanctification process happen. Uh, me and, and, and my job in ministry, I really didn't want to go into ministry. I, I wanted to be a, an attorney, I, I, but I said yes to the Holy Spirit. Uh, every time your friends say, hey, let's go camping. Let's take our motorhomes and go camping two weekends out of the month for the whole summer. And you go, I would like to, but I'm going to say no because I'm serving at my church. When you turn off TV and you don't want to turn off TV, when you walk out of the theater because they're, they're, not, uh, they're, they're doing some stuff that really offends the Holy Spirit, and you, and you walk out, you'd rather stay, but you walk out instead. Every time you give when you don't want to give, you take the short end of the stick. Uh, every time you do something that you don't really want to do, but you do it because the Holy Spirit's telling you to do it, that's increasing this sanctification process. Next, your faithfulness. To serving promotes sanctification. Every morning you get up and come to church, or maybe your service is out there in the world, whatever you're doing to serve God, every time you're faithful to that, it increases the sanctification process. It's not easy on Sunday morning for a lot of our volunteers to get up at 6.30 when they could sleep until 9, but they get up, rain or shine, they get up and they come, because that's what God's told them to do. And that all increases the sanctification process. Your your faithfulness to prayer and the word is going to increase this process. If you have a set time for prayer and devotions, it's going to increase this process. It's going to change who you're becoming. Uh, every time you apologize to someone because something you did wasn't Christ edifying it, and you know you're being convicted, so you go apologize to them and go, "You know what? What I said the other day was sheer gossip, and I ask God to forgive me, and I want you to pray with me. Every time you do something like that, you're increasing the sanctification process. The second thing I want to say about sanctification is God doesn't want to just change what you do, but he wants to change who you are. My wife with, with family feud, that's because of who she is. She's not trying to be legalistic. She's not trying to be more holier than thou. It's because of who she is. Look at Galatians 4.19. Paul says, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Paul said, I'm so concerned for you. I'm in labor with you. I'm wanting Christ to be formed in you. As when we have a baby, it takes nine months for that baby to be formed until it comes forth as a a mature child. Christ is being formed in us, and Paul says, I I just have to pray for you and hold you up. Paul knew that growing was a a, a process. Uh, He knew that for those who are committed to Christian growth, over time they would slowly begin to think like Jesus slowly they slowly begin to act like Jesus and talk more like Jesus it's not a fast thing for me it's a it's a three step forward and two step backwards very often but i am slowly growing as i look back to the ron vietti of 20 years ago i go wow total different guy here today now Paul was even concerned about the people in Acts when he said, you're starting to suffer for Christ and I'm, I'm really concerned that that suffering is going to do you in. But I need for you to know that suffering's part of the curriculum. Again, your, your expectations results your peace. If you go into Christianity knowing I'm supposed to suffer, I'm supposed to go through trials, this is par for the course because God can't change me any other way. So therefore I welcome them. It changes you totally. Next, you got to learn that justification is not the same as sanctification. Most people, they don't grow in Christ. They just stop once they get justified. Once the Holy Spirit comes into their life, they just stop right there. And that's what they look like, red and blue. They, 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 they confuse justification with sanctification. See, in justification, you're saved from the guilt of your sin, in sanctification, you're slowly getting saved from the power of sin. And in glorification, you're being saved from the presence of sin. Now, you go in the bookstore. I went in the other day just for fun to see if I could find one book on sanctification. One book on holiness. They're not there. They're not there. They're all the, 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 the motivational books, you know, because those are the ones that sell. Those are the ones people want to buy. Again, we're living in a generation that does not want to endure sound doctrine. You don't want anybody to get in your face and say, stop getting drunk, because drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. You don't want that. You want the ears tickled. You want to leave feeling good. And many times there is, a, there is reason to feel good, because there's a lot of good things in the kingdom. Everything's good, really, if you look at it from a biblical perspective. But there's no books in the bookstore about holiness. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 2, and 3. Preach the word. Preach what? The word. Be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine. They won't sit through it. They won't digest it. They won't listen to it. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. So, today, instead of asking you a question, do you want to be sanctified? Let me rephrase it. Do you want to protect your kids from bad things? Do you? Do you want to have a fantastic marriage? Do you want to have health and live a long time? Do you you want to die with peace and joy? Do you want a prosperous life on earth? Do you want rewards in heaven? All this has to do with sanctification. All of it does. Because the more purple you become, the closer you'll become to God. The better you'll hear His voice. The better you'll discern things. And your whole life will be better because of it. Look at Ephesians 1 and 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Say it with me, in Christ. That's important. In Christ. Where do the blessings come at? They come when you're in Christ. Now, a lot of Christians don't realize there's two things that happen to you when you're born again. First, Jesus comes to live inside of you, and then you're placed inside of the body of Jesus. Two things. Look at this diagram here. These little X's represent people. Jesus, the head, is in heaven. This is his body on earth. Jesus is still walking on the earth. His head just happens to be in heaven, but his body's still on earth, just like it was in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We are his body. We're doing his touching. We're doing his feeling. We're doing his talking. We're doing his healing. But he's in heaven. So see, he's getting all the wisdom. He's calling the shots. But we're here. We're placed in Christ. And as Christ moves, we got to move with him. Sometimes we're trying to move outside of, of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is moving this way. The Spirit of God is moving this way. But you're not moving with him. When you're not moving with him, you don't have all those blessings. You only have them when you're moving with him. When you're in His will, doing His will, don't expect God's blessings in order for you to do your own will. His blessings are in Christ. I mean, today, we're in Christ. And wherever Christ moves, we're to move with Him. And so that, that's really important. I got about 15 more minutes. You okay? The hundredfold blessing. Look at Mark 10, 29, 30. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is not one single person on the face of the earth who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he'll receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Say it with me, present age. Houses and brothers and sisters, mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, because people won't like your blessings. In the age to come, he'll also get eternal life kicked in. Wow. The idea here is two or threefold, but let me mention one of the lessons here. There is a spiritual payback, both now and eternity, for the things we separate ourselves from for the kingdom's sake. Quite possibly, maybe some things like this. Let's say you give your home up because you're called to do something in the kingdom, and and your home just doesn't make sense in the context of that. The Lord has promised that He'll give you back many times more of the joy and comfort that that home brought you. Quite possibly, He'll supernaturally make the lesser home that you buy more comfortable than the home you gave up. But He will replace it with something. Uh, if He calls you to give up partying and, and you get involved in a small group, you'll get a bigger high from that small group than you ever did from partying. Give up old friends. You'll get better ones. Give up porn. And you'll have intimacy with your spouse it'll go up to another level. If you trust Him and give it up for the kingdom's sake. Look at Psalms 119, 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live... And keep your word. Others, when we give stuff up for Christ, we get so blessed that we want to give up more stuff for Christ. And the more stuff we give up, the more we get blessed. The more we get blessed, the more we want to give up. Crazy how that works. Just crazy. Now look at verse number three. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus lives, He's alive. I'm never without hope. Now, listen to me closely. I've been diagnosed with cancer once, I've been diagnosed with cancer twice, I've been diagnosed maybe with cancer three times, but I'm never without hope because Jesus is alive. He's alive. And he has seen me through cancer after cancer. He's seen me through it. Because he's alive. I don't give up hope. He tells me what to eat, what minerals to take, what vitamins to take. Just like he did with COVID. I was prepared for COVID. Why? Because I'd prayed beforehand and spent time saying, God, what do I do if this comes for me? Let me ask you a question. How many of you prayed and asked God to tell you what to do about COVID. How many actually took that to prayer said, God, it might be coming for you. What should I do? What should I do? You have not because you ask not. There's all these blessings abounding if you'll just go out and claim them. Because he lives, I have hope in all situations. If my spouse leaves me, I'm not without hope. I got a direct line to God. He can either give me a new spouse or he can make me happy without a spouse. He can make me very happy that she or he's gone. If you get fired, I heard Rick Warren say something a long time ago about how they spoke with a man that was older. And this man had been fired from his job, but he didn't take it very well. He didn't know what to do, and he went to his wife. His wife said, what are you going to do? He said, well, I guess I'm going to do what I've always wanted to do. I'm going to build a hotel. You're going to do what? I'm going to build a hotel. I've always wanted to do that. So he goes out and builds a hotel. It does well. Builds another hotel, another hotel, another hotel. He ended up being the guy who started Holiday Inns all over the world. And Rick Warren said, when he talked to him, the guy said to him, said, I wished I could go back and find the guy that fired me because I'd like to say a big thank you. That's the best thing that ever happened to my life. And the guy was a Christian that started the holiday Inns. And so, thank you. Don't ever give up on anything. You have a living hope. God made the sun stand still for one guy in the Bible. He he fed another guy with the birds of the sky. He multiplied the, the loaves and the, and, the, and the fishes. I could go on and on. Never give up hope because Jesus resurrected, He's alive. And he's going to walk us through stuff. Look at Mark 9, 23. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who what? Jesus. What? believes an action word. All things are possible to him who goes out and starts praising God, starts doing something. All things are possible to the person who really starts acting and living as though he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Ah, I'm telling you, they got so much here. And now I'm down to nine minutes. We have a living hope. Look at 1 Peter 1, 3, 5 in the Message Bible. It says, what a God we have. And how fortunate we are to have him. Is that what you feel? Let me say it again. What a God we have. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And how fortunate we are to have him. This father of our master, Jesus. Now, the father of Jesus, that's our God, because Jesus was raised from the dead. We've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And that future starts right now. God is keeping careful watch over us in the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all. Life healed and whole. Look at verse 4. Let's go back to Peter. We're almost through for today. We've been called to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Let's look at the Greek word for inheritance. A possession, a share, a portion, viewed in one sense as present, in another sense... As future. See, whatever we have there, we kind of have it here now too. We're going to get a mansion up there. I'll tell you what, God will give you a mansion right here t- to be your headquarters. Your little house is worth maybe a hundred thousand dollars. That's your mansion, man. That's your headquarters. Maybe you have a house worth two million dollars. That's your mansion. That's your headquarters. It says that. Yeah, up there we'll be given a throne, at least the apostles will. Some will be given a throne. We have a throne right now that we sit on and rule from. We, we, we rule God's authority from that throne. I could go on and on and on. But do you see the point here? It says here that an inheritant is, view, is viewed, an inheritance is viewed both in the present and the future. Ah, uh, the hundredfold blessing, same thing. It says you're going to get blessed here and in the future. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. We're already seated in heaven with Christ. We're part of His body. He's the head, the body. As far as I know, the head and bodies are always joined together. I've never seen one without the other. So we're already seated in the heavenly places. Now, I'm going to say something that might be foreign to some of you. If you get this down, it'll change your life. It's a major big-time principle. You ready? We're living in the kingdom of God right now. Right now. It'll be a lot more enhanced when we get to heaven, but we're living in it right now. We have eternal life right now. We don't wait to get eternal life. We have it right now. Eternal life's a quality of life that just happens to go on. Now, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1 and 4 that we've been made partakers of the divine nature. Now, I don't know what non-believing Christians do with that verse other than sit around trying to pick it apart. It says, we've been made partakers of the divine nature, and we've been given everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Can I tell you something? The only way you're going to accomplish God's purpose for you on this earth is to take from His supernatural provision— if you don't use his supernatural provision, you'll never accomplish what God wants you to accomplish on the earth. You must use your spiritual authority. You've got to learn to use it. You've got to do fervent prayer, not just prayer. Hello, I'm telling somebody right now. You need to pray through your situation. You haven't done that. The reason you're suffering today, the reason you're struggling, is you've never prayed through it. You never really got down to business with God and say, I'm coming back the same time, same place, until I get an answer or a direction. That's what he wants us to do. Apostle Paul tried to tell us in so many ways. I fought the good fight of faith. I stirred myself up. I laid claims to the promises of God. Wow, wow, wow. We need to utilize the power of God. Look at Ephesians 4.24. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness. What? Your new self is in the likeness of God of God. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ right now. I mean, think about all. Think, think, think. If you were the spiritual enemy, the devil, and you knew that God's people needed the power of the Holy Spirit to do God's will on the earth, you knew they needed the power of the Holy Spirit. What would you do, if you were the enemy of God? Well, first of all, you'd do everything in your power to make them not believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. What would you do? Maybe things like this, you'd cause churches to start preaching bad doctrines that says the gift of miracles ended with the day of the apostles, and they'll do it in a very holy, sanctimonious way to get you not to plug into the power of the Holy Spirit. You start raising up a lot of phonies so you, you, didn't want, you don't wanna look stupid like them. You would raise up the, the phonies And make them look really bad. You'd cause Hollywood to come up with jokes about Christians. What would you do? You would cause scholars to write articles against Christianity. You'd do everything in your power to make Christians feel stupid if they said they heard God. To make them feel stupid if they used spiritual authority. That's what he would do, and that's what he's doing today. Now... Look at, oh wait, it does say, look at verse 5. We already talked about this so much, I'm not going to make reference to it. We're protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That has both the spiritual sense and physical. Yes, we're protected, you know, spiritually. We're protected, our soul and spirit's protected for the day of redemption. But we're also protected on this earth constantly by the power of God through using our faith. And I don't want to give you all my God stories, but there have been so many times in my life that God said, don't move this direction, or do move this direction. you got to do it now. And had I not applied faith to that and did that, I might be dead or hurt or injured. He's protecting me by the power of God when I use my faith to do what I think He's telling me to do. I might have died of COVID had I not prayed through, and I felt He gave me this stuff I was supposed to take and stuff I was supposed to do, and that saved me. Now look at verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Oh, I want you to see a phrase here. If necessary. ha! <laughs> that's going to change your life. I want to tell you something about this verse. It's going to change your whole perspective of life. I mean, are you ready for this? This is going to change your perspective for life. This is going to really speak to you. Are you ready for it? You ready? Come back next week, and I'll tell you. We're going to stop right there. You know what, gang? Get that video ready in the back room. I wasn't going to do it, but we have a little time. I'm going to sign off the air. I'm going to do something here with, just with the congregation. We're going to end in worship. So I'm signing off the air, and... Uh, Gang, we love you. See you here, there in the air. Pastor Tom, Pastor Doug, you guys take it. Love you. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King, Here is our